This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Do your investments align with your values? Well, now's the time to increase your triple bottom line to better people, profit, and the planet. Amalgamated Investment Services, a division of America's socially responsible bank, has a deep-seated commitment to affecting systemic change through investments. By specializing in triple bottom line impact, they can help navigate the common hurdles experienced by nonprofit organizations and foundations, from creating a sustainable policy statement to avoiding the all-too-prevalent greenwashing. If you would like to join them in creating a more just and sustainable world, please visit amalgamatedbank.com slash nonprofit investing. Again, that's amalgamatedbank.com slash nonprofit investing. Securities offered through Infinix Investments Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Amalgamated Investment Services is a trade name of Amalgamated Bank. Infinex and Amalgamated Bank are not affiliated. As a leader of a nonprofit, you know firsthand how important it is to have the right technology, tools, and strategies in place to achieve your mission. Well, that's where Heller Consulting comes in. Heller Consulting is a premier consulting firm that specializes in helping nonprofit organizations achieve their goals through effective technology strategy and implementation. Whether you need help with technology roadmaps, CRM strategy, Salesforce, or Microsoft implementations, Team Heller has you covered. With Heller Consulting on your side, you can trust that you'll have the support you need to make the most of your organization's technology resources. Visit teamheller.com slash NLP to learn more. Again, that's teamheller.com slash NLP to learn more. Hello, podcast listeners. Well, I hope you're having a great week. Thanks for tuning in and and thank you just for continuing to help this podcast grow. I so appreciate your support. Well, my guess is that all of you have heard of GuideStar and or Candid. Today, my guest is the one who served as president and CEO of GuideStar and is also the co-founder of Candid. My guest today is Jacob Harold, And Jacob also has a new book out entitled The Toolbox. Strategies for Crafting Social Impact. In this episode, we're going to talk all about creating a clear map for social change, why storytelling is so important, and even why nonprofit leaders can learn from mathematical modeling. You're going to have to tune in. Well, enjoy today's show. Well, Jacob, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here, Rob. I'm looking forward to the opportunity to hear more about your book and your experience in the social impact sector, but let's start with this concept of social impact and social change. When it comes to social change, essentially we're trying to define new pathways towards creating a better world, really. Does developing a clear map for social change precede how a nonprofit wants to create social impact? Yeah. Well, you know, actually I will start that way because I think it, it gets to your question. And a lot of the origin story behind this book comes from my time at the Hewlett Foundation, which is one of the most privileged places to be in the broader nonprofit sector, to be at a multi-billion dollar foundation and 
in the case of the Hewlett Foundation, one that's relatively well run. And to just sit there day after day and have nonprofit leaders coming to you with their brilliant ideas for making a better world. And I would just sit there and just feel so, so privileged to be hearing about these different ways that these different leaders thought about the logic of how to get from here to there, of how to achieve that impact that they thought was important. And there were a lot of different logics. You know, some of them wanted to tell a new story. Some of them wanted to scale up an individual intervention using a market mechanism. Others wanted to draw lessons from behavioral economics or design thinking. Others wanted to do a better job applying mathematical analysis to figure out which interventions work best. And I was struck by a couple of things. One, that there was just this incredible abundance of ways of thinking and that we should celebrate that. And two, that I found myself frustrated that a lot of these folks were so obsessed with their one particular strategy, their one approach, that it kind of blinded them to the limitations of that approach. And a lot of that gets to your question, I think, which is, can we ahead of time map out how we're going to get from here to there? How our social change, the work we do, is going to lead to some difference, the social impact? Um, And I basically would say, no, it's not possible to predict the future. It is, though, helpful to have a clear hypothesis and a framework in your head that you can at least test as you go along. And, you know, and part of the discipline, I think, of being a social change leader of any kind, a nonprofit leader in particular, is figuring out what's that logic? What's your strategy? We can talk more about strategy. How do you organize your activity when you wake up in the morning in order to make it more likely that that's going to lead to some lasting results for the communities or the ecosystem? systems or the ideas that you that you care about. Well, related to this, you've been quoted as saying this, social impact is the difference between what actually happened and what would have happened without you. So asking what happens if we don't exist is an important question for nonprofit strategy. So talk more about this. How does a clear definition of social impact guide one's nonprofit strategy? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, we are trying to do work that is on top of what would have happened otherwise. I mean, if not, like, what's the point? The point is to make a difference. I mean, it's a difference relative. It's a difference to us not existing, us not acting. Now, the thing is, you know, it's, you know, you see this in, for example, the randomized controlled trials that pharmaceutical companies do to test drugs, where they will have a control group that doesn't get the intervention and, you know, a test group that does. And, you know, that is a very powerful way of thinking about how an intervention, in that case, you know, some medicine, but in the case of a nonprofit, it might be a job training program, say, you know, whether that that creates the impact you want. Now, the challenge is it's not always easy to translate that randomized control trial sort of precision to the messiness of nonprofit work. Like, think about an advocacy group. You know, the Sierra Club can't have a control earth that doesn't have a Sierra Club on it. And then look at, well, what happens to the control Earth and what happens on the Earth with Sierra Club? It's just not possible. But what we can do is at least try to think clearly about, well, what is it that we're doing that's actually going to bend that curve, that's going to change the trajectory of, of, of where we're going? And that is a kind of accountability uh, on, on ourselves. You know, the, the poet Amanda Gorman says, um, to be accountable, we must render an account. And part of strategy is rendering an account of, here's what I'm going to do, and here's what I think it's going to lead to. Um, And that creates a kind of accountability and an opportunity for, for learning. Being in the nonprofit space, one of the biggest questions I get is about grant funding. 
Nonprofit leaders know that grants can be a very important part of their overall revenue, but knowing how to write grants well and where to find them can leave many of us overwhelmed. Well, it's a good thing my friend Holly Rustic at Grant Writing and Funding creates ways to make grant writing simple and achievable. Well, here's the good news. She is offering you, my listener, a free grant writing class. And of course, she also has her own podcast, Grant Writing and Funding. So I encourage you to visit grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob for the free grant writing class and find out more about Grant Writing and Funding podcast. Once again, that's grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. All right. Well, one of the things you argue is that nonprofit leaders can learn a lot from math. And I know my listeners, yes, he he really means this. And what I mean to say is you have said that mathematical modeling can help us plan for the future and learn from the past. Well, the rigor of math when applied to social change ensures clarity, it keeps us honest, and helps us imagine what is possible. So share more about how this works actually in everyday nonprofits. How does math impact us as nonprofit leaders? Um, sure. You know, and I'll start by admitting, you know, I'm a math nerd. You know, I was captured by high school, high school math team and I have, I have math equations tattooed on my arm. But so the thing is that math can be scary to people. Um, and, and I totally get that. And I, I'm not asking that folks are doing calculus or differential equations to try to describe the impact of their work. But, you know, a simple equation is a story and the variables are the characters. And that, that I think is really important for clarity of thinking. We can talk about that. And it's also important for human accountability. Like if we really believe that people count, then we need to count them. And, um, you know, I start that chapter with a, a, a pretty dark poem by the Polish uh, Nobel laureate, Wisława Szymborska, And it's about um, the Nazi death camps. And she talks about how history rounds off skeletons to zeros. And, you know, in that she's, um, you know, noting that, you know, in the messiness of history, individual lives can get lost in the, the accounts that we have of things that have happened, good and bad. And, but then she says, it's as if that one didn't exist. 1,001 is the same as 1,000. And, and so to me, part of the importance of using math in social change is the dignity of each person um, deserving to be counted. But it also can just help in practical ways in terms of understanding, say you have a job training program, You've got three teachers. You know, the total number of people served is, is that served by teacher A plus teacher B plus teacher C equals total serve. It's very simple. We could then break that down on and look at, you know, what percentage of each teacher's students end up getting a job after a job training program and begin to add a little bit more detail to it. But it doesn't have to be fancy to begin to describe the logic of what you're doing and how you think it's going to lead to some impact. Um, and, you know, sometimes we can, uh, you know, use that to make really precise tweaks in how we do our work, but other times it just gives us a language to talk about what we're doing and and to hold ourselves accountable. And again, to make it easier to learn as we, uh, as we go along. That's really interesting. Well, it sounds like measurement is really important to you for nonprofit organizations. Why is that so important? It is. And, and again, for, you know, these two reasons, which, it's really are intertwined. You know, one is accountability, a moral accountability that we have in the nonprofit sector to our donors, to our constituents, to society as a whole. And then the second is just learning and getting better. That, you know, if you're acting in a complex world, you're not going to figure out how to do it the first time around. You have to have mechanisms for learning. And I see measurement as important for both accountability and, and for learning. 
Okay, well, as I mentioned during the intro to this episode, you have a new book out, and it's called The Toolbox, Strategies for Crafting Social Impact. Well, one of the tools you talk about is storytelling. You're a big believer in storytelling and its power to serve as a catalyst to grow one's nonprofit. What are some of the most important tools when it comes to becoming an effective storyteller? Yeah, storytelling is the first, the first tool uh, that I go through in the toolbox. There are nine total. You know, we mentioned a couple of them already. Mathematical modeling, behavioral economics, design thinking. Well, maybe we'll get to community organizing institutions, markets, um, and others. But you know, storytelling is fundamentally how most humans make sense of the world. It's a way we create a thread through a series of events, and we place characters in that, in that thread. Those characters may be people, or they might be institutions or places or ideas, whatever they may be. And, you know, so if we need, if we want to communicate, whether it's to recruit new participants to our program, convince new donors to provide funding, help train staff, whatever it may be, we're going to need to have some kind of a story that helps to draw that thread for them. And so there's just a lot that nonprofit leaders can learn from, from storytelling and some pretty basic ways that we can apply concepts from storytelling to, to the work of social change. I, I talk a lot in the book about, about the hero's journey, this sort of archetype of a, of a story that you see from everything from, you know, Star Wars to Lord of the Rings, where, you know, an individual is, is drawn from sort of the safety and complacency of home onto an adventure where they, they, they meet companions and they, they face, um, they face obstacles and then eventually, um, one hopes they triumph. And that, that basic framework actually is kind of exactly what social change is that, that you start somewhere and you decide to, you're, you're drawn from the status quo to change something. You need help along the way. You face challenges along the way. So we, we can draw lessons from that. And some of it is just as simple as thinking about who are the characters in our story. It's pretty easy for a nonprofit leader to say, well, I'm the protagonist. But is it always that simple? You know, maybe the real protagonist in this story is the people you're trying to serve. Although maybe when you're talking to that donor, you're really trying to convince the donor that they're the protagonist. And, you know, is there necessarily a villain in your story that's an individual person, you know, cackling in the corner, or is the villain a system or a structure or the weight of history that, that is what you're really trying to, to take on? That, that, you know, simple exercises like that have strategic implications beyond just, you know, communications implications of helping us really think about who are we focusing on? You know, what are we confronting? And, you know, how are we going to get to that, to that better place? That's good stuff. Well, another tool you talk about in your book is around what has been called behavioral economics. In fact, you have five tools that will help nonprofit leaders respond effectively to the reality of what's called behavioral economics. Could you share what are those five tools? Um, yeah, you know, well, well, you know I, I use the term behavioral economics as sort of a, a broad umbrella for behavioral science, including cognitive science and psychology. And just that Scientists of many different kinds, social scientists and natural scientists, not to mention you know, people in literature, you know, working in poets and novelists and filmmakers, have been trying to figure out how the human mind actually works for millennia. And it's easy for us in the nonprofit sector to, to say, well, we see that obviously there's a solution to the education, the, the, the achievement gap in education, or there's a solution to the climate crisis. And people just need to understand A, B, and C, and then they will behave C, D, and E, and everything will work out fine. And yet, you know, consistently, nonprofit leaders find that it's not that simple, that there are a set of biases and behaviors that are 
in our subconscious mind that, that guide our behavior. And we just need to respect those. That doesn't mean we give up on them. Um, and, you know, w- one thing that I, uh, you know, talk about is just being conscious of what some of those biases are, that we tend to watch the behavior of people around us and do something similar. We tend to um, avoid risk. We tend to think in the short term. I mean, these, are, these are things we all know, but it's useful to start to, to look a little bit more rigorously at what the research has told us as we think about, well, what's, it, what's the experience really like when a donor is signing up on our website? And how are we guiding their behavior in a way that is helpful and easy, but also respectful of their autonomy? And I think we've seen with some of the big technology platforms have really figured out how to use behavioral science to really manipulate people. Whereas I hope that the nonprofit sector can use lessons from behavioral economics to guide people to decisions that are good for them, but in a way that allows them to maintain their agency all along the way. Um, and that is that is respectful of that of that independence. And you know, there's a there's a great metaphor that I that I cite, which is the metaphor of a rider on top of an elephant going on a path. And this represents sort of three things that drive human behavior. The 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 rider is the conscious rational mind. The elephant is the subconscious mind, and the pathway is the context that you're within. And in each of those cases, we can pay attention to the cues coming from the environment or rational data-driven arguments that might sway the the conscious mind or some of these biases that that guide the the powerful elephant of our subconscious. And um, again, this is like with basically all these nine tools, not something that I'm an expert in, but something where I think all of us can draw from what other experts have learned and familiarize ourselves with some of these basics and kind of seed our own mind when tackling the strategy problems that are inevitably going to come up in in the work of social change. We'll be right back. Do you want a clear step-by-step system to write grants so that your nonprofit secures funding in a stress-free manner? Well, check out the free grant writing class, How to Write Winning Grants in Seven Proven Steps. You will walk away with seven nuggets of grant writing clarity and a free action workbook so you can start writing higher quality grants today. Just watch this free class now at grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. Again, that's grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. Do your investments align with your values? Well, now's the time to increase your triple bottom line to better people, profit, and the planet. Amalgamated Investment Services, a division of America's socially responsible bank, has a deep-seated commitment to affecting systemic change through investments. By specializing in triple bottom line impact, they can help navigate the common hurdles experienced by nonprofit organizations and foundations. From creating a sustainable policy statement to avoiding the all-too-prevalent greenwashing. If you would like to join them in creating a more just and sustainable world, please visit amalgamatedbank.com slash nonprofit investing. Again, that's amalgamatedbank.com slash nonprofit investing. Securities offered through Infinix Investments Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Amalgamated Investment Services is a trade name of Amalgamated Bank. Infinix and Amalgamated Bank are not affiliated. As a leader of a nonprofit, you know firsthand how important it is to have the right technology, tools, and strategies in place to achieve your mission. Well, that's where Heller Consulting comes in. 
Heller Consulting is a premier consulting firm that specializes in helping nonprofit organizations achieve their goals through effective technology strategy and implementation. Whether you need help with technology roadmaps, CRM strategy, Salesforce, or Microsoft implementations, Team Heller has you covered. With Heller Consulting on your side, you can trust that you'll have the support you need to make the most of your organization's technology resources. Visit teamheller.com slash NLP to learn more. Again, that's teamheller.com slash NLP to learn more. Georgia College and State University is Georgia's public liberal arts university. They have a 36-hour Masters of Public Administration program, which is fully online, using innovative techniques to engage students while allowing flexibility for working professionals. The program is fully accredited and earned U.S. News and World Report's Best Graduate Program ranking in its 2021 edition. There are two 12-hour professional certificates offered alongside the program, Leadership and Nonprofit Management and Election Administration. And if you're out of state, there are no additional costs for out-of-state students. Check out Georgia College and State University today. That's very helpful. Good stuff. Now, in the work of social change, you remind us that you know, we're constantly interacting with and sometimes struggling with institutions. Institutions are an essential context, right, for many of us in our work. And because of that, we have to work within them and through them. So I'm curious, you know, when, when they become a target for our work, uh, we are trying to change the behavior of an organization or a group of people in that institution. And yet when we're implementing that social change, these institutions are still often a vehicle for our work because they provide the structure for what we do. So this is where I think the conundrum comes in. Talk more about how on the one hand, we often have to work in and through institutions in order to bring about social change. But on the other, they can be a hindrance to the very change we're seeking to implement. So how do we balance that? Yeah, well, and I think you know, this goes to something that's, that's important for all the nine tools. And I think that one of the tools is institutions. Um, and, and I'll get to that is that you know, th- these tools are not inherently morally good or bad. They are, they're morally neutral. The, the question is, what values do we bring and how do we infuse this tool with values that are aligned with what we think is important in the world, what we think is, is right? Now, I should add, they may be morally neutral. They're not strategically neutral in that they will definitely, each tool, each way of thinking will guide you down a certain pathway, um, will, will, t- will lead you to tend to think in certain ways. If you're applying a mathematical modeling mindset, you're going to tend to think in certain ways. Same with storytelling, same with all. So with institutions, you know, th- there are a lot of social change strategies that rely on building a new institution. So you might bring in, like, think about the arts. And, you know, if you want to build a museum, you're probably going to need to build an organization, and that's an institution. And, you know, so there are lots of people in the nonprofit sector where a core part of their strategy is about building an institution that will last. And that often makes a lot of sense. It becomes problematic when the institution becomes kind of um, just an end in of itself instead of a way of achieving that, that social or environmental goal that we have. Um, and institutions tend to take on a life of their own and become self-perpetuating. Sometimes that's good because you need an organization to exist through history, but other times it really gets in the way. And so we have to, sometimes we're in the nonprofit sector, which by definition means we're working in institutions. They may be really small. They may not even, they may be volunteer driven. They're still an illegal entity. They are an institution, what I call a, a pattern of relationships. 
So no matter what in the nonprofit sector, we're, we're using institutions. So first, we need to understand it just so that we know how to use them as a, as a mechanism, to use your word as a vehicle. And then, yeah, sometimes we're going to have to change them. You know, if you are trying to change the admissions policies of universities to better reflect actual talent and passion in the world and not simply historic patterns of privilege, you're going to have to engage with an institution. Some of those may be really powerful. Some of them might be fancy Ivy League institutions. Others might be a smaller community college. And so you, you, you need to have an understanding of institutions as targets. And you know, in general, I think they're not, you know, they can be a target without being a bad guy, but we still are attempting to influence their behavior and so need to understand the mechanisms that drive them. Things like, you know, what's their budgeting process? What are the internal incentives? What's the culture of an institution? And you know, that can really help us be smarter strategists as we're trying to figure out, oh, how am I going to shift how the criminal justice system operates in my city? Because that's a set of institutions. You know, how am I going to alter the behavior of fossil fuel companies? Because that's a set of, of um of institutions. The institutions chapter is tricky in that it's both a tool about how we use ourselves and our communities effectively, but also how we influence um, those that maybe need a little nudge in, a, uh, in the right direction. Okay. Now, community organizing. This is another thing you talk about in your book. Could you talk a bit more what you mean by community organizing and why is it so important? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, you know, two things, relationships and power that, you know, community organizing is you know fundamentally about building relationships and steering those relationships as an expression of power as a way of influencing the behavior of a target which might be an institution it might be a politician it might be a corporation it might be a community and um and then one of the the sort of ironies but also powers of community organizing is that the only way you build power through community organizing is by letting go of it is by empowering those in your community to themselves multiply the potential reach of, um, you know, an idea uh, of a passion of a, of a social movement. And so community organizing, again, can be used for good or ill. Um, although I think there are some things about it that are inherently pro-social because they are about building relationships. And I think that's inherently good. Power, though, can also work against that. Power, again, is neutral. People can use power for good um, or, or for ill. And so, you know, the smartest and the best community organizers are ones who figure out how to, to wrestle with that, that set of tensions. Okay, well, you have served as president and CEO of GuideStar and co-founded Candid. Now, I mentioned on the outset of this podcast that my guess is many of you, my listeners, have at least heard of GuideStar, if not Candid, in both of them. Jacob, could you share more about how and why you co-founded Candid? And what's the primary benefit that GuideStar or Candid provides both nonprofit organizations and donors. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so you know, GuideStar had been around for many years when I first started to get to know the organization well around uh, 2007 or so when I was at the Hewlett Foundation. And as I talked to people around the field, it was just very clear that there was a, a yearning for better information about nonprofits, for an easier process for nonprofits to tell their own stories. Um, and for a sense of a story of the non of nonprofit sector as a whole that showed all this incredible work that was that was happening, but also acknowledged that some people were doing better than others. There was an opportunity for more learning and more more alignment. 
Um, so I just found myself drawn to this idea and you know, was lucky enough to, to join the board and then eventually serve as CEO for about six and a half years. And you know, in that time, we took this basic stream of information that was primarily coming from the IRS, which was mostly financial data, and try and think about how do we enrich that? Because just as you or I wouldn't tell our story as human beings through our tax form, the IRS 1040, nor should nonprofits tell their story as institutions just through their you know, regulatory document, the Form 990. And you know, the fact that that data was available was leading to things like what we call the overhead myth, the idea that you could actually judge nonprofits' performance by their overhead ratio, which is a myth, was, was partly caused by the easy availability of some of these financial ratios and the absence of the meaningful information about goals and strategies, community measurement, constituencies. And so we spent a lot of time trying to supplement that financial data with some of this other, uh, other information. And you know, we can talk about the mechanisms we did that, but I, I, I think we, we made some real progress. It also was clear, though, that you know, that wasn't enough. That wasn't the whole story of social change. The whole story of social change wasn't just in describing one nonprofit at a time. There's also this big question of money um, and you know, the hundreds of billions of dollars flowing through the nonprofit sector. Um, and many other forms of, of knowledge about, about issues and interventions, et cetera. And so it was clear to me and to my colleagues at GuideStar that, you know, we could keep doing what we were doing, but there was more, more to be done. And, you know, our friends at, at the Foundation Center were sort of the other side of the coin with this information about where money was going, in particular from foundations. Um, and we just saw an opportunity to bring together these two data sets, these two sides of the street to tell a much richer story about the social sector, um, and then to bring together different types of expertise that the two organizations had. Now, mergers are hard. It was not an easy thing to do, to bring together two organizations with a combined 60 years of history. But we, we saw it as necessary. And this goes back to what we were talking about with institutions. You know, We could have uh, both organizations just said, well, we're going to be in a defensive crouch and defend our turf, our territory, put our interests ahead of, of the mission. But like, that's not the point. <laughs> that's not why we're doing this. And you know, we had to figure out how to transcend that and say, we, we need to serve the field as a whole better and tell its whole story better. And we can do that better together. You know, there's still a lot of work ahead for Candid. But, you know, Candid was formed in 2019 when we did finally come together. And you know, it was under a new CEO, Ann Mae Chang, after Myself and the, the former um, president of Foundation Center, Brad Smith, you know, helped to bring the organizations together. And then we stepped out and got out, got out of the way. You know, so hopefully, the, the, the vision will, will succeed and be able to bring together all these different kinds of data and, and help to show the, the, the areas for growth in the nonprofit sector, the, the, um, the opportunities for learning. And I think very importantly, not just tell one story at a time, but show that the nonprofit sector as a whole is this immensely important pillar of our society, not just in the US, but, but around the world. Trillions of dollars, millions of people, and an incredible victory, I think, for, you know, for our society that we figured out how to employ in the US 13 million people a year whose job it is is to do good. And like that is, that is worth celebrating, you know, that our society has figured out how to do that. And um, that doesn't mean there's not a lot we can do better. There's a lot we can do better. But it's worth pausing and just thinking about, look, look what we have built and you know, how can we continue to, to make, it, make it better? And you know, we can talk about it. There's lots of ways it could be better. 
Now, I've learned that so far, there are over 200,000 nonprofits who have used GuideStar's profile program. And just to be clear to my listeners, GuideStar and Foundation Center merged to form Candid. Now, so let me ask, what is your core vision and future hopes for GuideStar slash Candid since this merger? Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, the, the, the new CEO, Anne Mae Chang, she talks about data times one or data X one, which, which is basically, can we get to a point where nonprofits share data about themselves once and can feel confident that that information is flowing to the other parts of the sector that need it? whether that's directly into the grants management system of a foundation or to a major platform like Google or to a donor advised fund like Fidelity, you know, into the, the research platforms that are helping to understand the sector and avoid a situation which we've been in for a while, which is that nonprofits just have a lot of different profiles to fill out. And they, they, they arguably waste some time filling out different surveys and, and profiles and templates. Um, and we ought to be able to do that once. Um, for, just for efficiency's sake, just to respect the time of nonprofit leaders, but also so we can get more and better comparative data that helps us learn and reveal the diversity of the sector. And so, you know, nonprofits have significant power over how their story is told through GuideStar, which still exists as a product within the, the broader umbrella of Candid. And so a nonprofit leader can go and claim their profile and, and enrich it in ways that really matter to donors. And, and there's very significant evidence that for many, many nonprofits, they see an increase in funding when they are more transparent through GuideStar and provide additional data. Not to mention, maybe learning a little bit better, maybe you know, sharing their story with their stakeholders a little bit better, maybe finding new partners. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's a key opportunity for nonprofit leaders to tell their own story and to tell it better. Absolutely. And one other question along those lines, um, there's the, the next, I'd say, major maybe um, organization out there that kind of rates or or gets the story out of nonprofits is Charity Navigator. How would you distinguish a candidate from Charity Navigator for nonprofit leaders? Because I think a lot of people end up having both on their website saying, hey, we've got this seal of approval. We've got this lever of excellence. How do you differ, though, in terms of what you're trying to provide? Yeah. So, you know, and, you know, there have been times where I think there was a sense of competition between the two, but, but over the years, I, I think the two organizations really came to recognize that they were quite complementary because fundamentally, GuideStar, now Candid, is a, a, attempts to be an objective data platform. It's not making decisions for you. It's not providing a rating. Any organization can achieve a, a platinum seal of transparency just by sharing more information. Um, that platinum seal is not a judgment of the quality of the organization. It's a, it's a statement about the degree to which it's transparent. And in contrast, Charity Navigator is more of a ratings agency. And its star rating system does reflect a specific rating. And it's meant to imply that four stars is better than three. Now, there's been a lot of controversy about the nature of that rating system. We could talk about that. But I think over time, the folks at Charity Navigator have really been trying to make it better. And they have made it better. There's still more to go. But, but yeah, I see it quite... Uh, complimentary. You know, for for those of your listeners who you know know the business world, it's kind of the difference between Bloomberg, which is a neutral data platform for financial information, and Morningstar, which is providing actual ratings for financial instruments. And you know, those, those are those are quite quite complementary. Um, so you know, my hope is that the two organizations will continue to figure out how to have complementary roles because there's there, there's um it's just it's not going to help nonprofits if you're having to fill out different profiles on all these different sites, and it's just not the best way for organizations to spend a ton of time when there's a real need for, for all these different niches. 
Well, Jacob, this has been very helpful. Now, how can people find out more about your book and more about you? Where would you send them? So um, my website is jacobherald.com uh, or craftingimpact.org also goes there, which is, uh, or you can find my book, The Toolbox, where, where books are sold. And, you know, and I do a lot of posting on, on LinkedIn as well. Um, and you know, I'm in a, in a in a phase right now of, of learning and reassessing and figuring out, you know, now what what should I be when I when I grow up? So I welcome any suggestions from from your listeners as I think about how to be useful to the field moving forward. Jacob, again, thanks so much for taking time to be on the show. Thanks for sharing your insights with us, and thanks for all you do for the nonprofit sector. Um, absolutely, Rob, it's been great. Hey, friends! Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community, find other resources and interviews of past guests, all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.